0: This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome.
1: Happy Monday. I hope your day is going well so far. Your commute is going smoothly. Yeah, it's Monday. It's Monday. <laughs> it is. Good luck. Welcome to the week. <laughs> Pastor Michael here with you. I'm in the studio with Pastor Craig Jarvis, lead pastor of Village Church East. You guys had your um, actually official grand opening this past Sunday. Now, let's put all our cards on the table. Today is February 15th (laughs) at the time of this recording. But for the listener, today is February 28th. So um, I am in confidence and in trust and faith in God, believing that your opening Sunday went amazing. Your sermon was life-changing. It was packed. Uh, the worship was incredible, and um, God was glorified. So, Amen. I hope so. I hope so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no. I'm I'm expecting great things. So, what we're praying for, we 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 expect to see. Yep, and uh, hope that God uses us in great ways.
1: God has literally bashed open every single door. Oh my goodness, it's over and over. Like I keep incredible. waiting for a roadblock to actually stop things, mm-hmm. and what even appears to be roadblocks actually become accelerators, yep. which is kind of crazy. Which
0: so, um, again, we'll get to the question in a minute. How has it increased your faith? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, as you know, when we discussed this a year ago, it wasn't on my radar mm-hmm. to plant a church. And yeah. so, uh, I think you told me to go to Hades. <laughs> no, shill. That doesn't sound like me. It sounds more like you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but as, as you well know. I am know, not the cussing
1: pastor. I would like to be very clear. <laughs> Have you ever heard me cuss? No. Thank you. Uh,
0: I'm, thinking, uh, well. I'm thinking a little clearer. No,
1: no like on my own, not, not repeating on. somebody else's dumb words. Yeah, I mean, sure, like, yeah, sure. there we go. You're a godly man. Um, well, that's a difference. That's, so.
0: <laughs> that, that's not
1: what I said. Hopefully I'm not ungodly. Can we get back to the topic? What are we talking about? Uh, How year, has it increased your faith? A yeah. year
0: ago, uh, <laughs> I it wasn't on the radar, but God began to, as we submitted to the doors that seemed to be opening, God continued to open doors. And it's been an amazing journey. Like you said, it just seems like every obstacle turned into an opportunity. And we are now uh, celebrating our grand opening. And uh, there's a bunch of different families that have been impacted, several who have jumped on board with us since then, caught the vision, and we look to be growing over this next year. So our whole sermon
1: series right now is on faith. And at the end of the day, you grow your faith by taking risks. Risks. And it's not like, you know, I'm going to jump off a cliff and like hope it works out. I mean. I'm on one level, it's God is open doors. The hard part is, are we willing to
0: say no to comfort and yes to what could be? That's a challenge. And the and the risk is never based on a blind faith. It's no. always based on the faithfulness of God in the past. Yep. So if God promises, He delivers. And it may not look like we want it to look, like a you know church plant that you weren't planning on doing. Yeah. Right. But in the end, when the baby comes, it powerfully impacts your soul like like few other things. Yep. And uh, labor is messy, but beautiful.
1: (laughs) And all the ladies uh,
0: said, man, I don't think I have the legs to stand on to make a comment there. (sighs) I do. All right. So (laughs) the question of today,
1: you know what's funny is for people who don't know you or me, they must think you're so weird. (laughs) (laughs) I might have used the wrong pronoun (laughs) there. Oh, by you, I meant you. Okay, good. All right. Sorry. So the question today uh, is the second part from um, something we answered on Friday. Mm -hmm. And the question Friday was, if a gay person is married and they become a believer, should they seek a divorce? And we had to make the distinction between um, what God sees as marriage and divorce, what the government sees, and then basically how a couple in light of those realities interact with each other. I encourage you to go back, listen to that episode. And uh, so what I wanted to do is, um, there's two questions that I really wanted to to delve into with you. And the first question is... Okay, if you have this person and they become a, a believer, by by this, let me give a definition, mm-hmm. a true spirit-filled believer. Objectively, they're regenerate, as we say in theology. Um, they have God's Holy Spirit inside of them. They have true faith, mm-hmm. um, as we were talking about in our sermon series right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they are going to heaven for sure, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. They're never going to lose it. It's real. Mm-hmm. They're secure, Okay. So this person uh, becomes, one of the two becomes a believer. Mm-hmm. And we we des- we just decided that what they should do is, even though in God's eyes, this isn't a technically a, a, a biblical marriage, mm-hmm. right? Legally, it's good for them to separate as a statement of their submission to God's mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. Well, there are so many ramifications. So if one of them becomes a believer, likely the other isn't. What do we do with the unbelieving spouse? What do we do, number two, with... The children, if there has been adoption or IVF or surrogacy, Mm -hmm. or number three, what if they become a believer and their mind has not yet been convinced that um, homosexuality, a monogamous homosexual marriage is not something God approves of? Mm. Okay.
0: So question number one, what do you do with the unbelieving spouse? How do you handle that tension? So we keep using marriage terms. And so... I would say that if you submit to the economy of God rather than the economy of the world, then you have to understand that in God's eyes, two men or two women can't be married. Um, again, it's very difficult to uh, to say that to a culture that has embraced this mm-hmm. because it's been condoned by yeah. the majority of culture.
1: The American cultural economy has one definition of marriage. God's kingdom spiritual economy has a very different definition. Right. And and you have us, and we're in both worlds. Right, we live in the American economy, but right. we also live in God's economy, right. and so we dance, you know.
0: And so, where we need to fall as believers is we have to fall under the place where we say, "Who is our final authority? Who gets to say how I should live my life?" And Jesus put it very, very plainly. He said, um, "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments." And so if we love Jesus Christ, our desire is to keep His commandments. Do we do that fully, 100% of the time? <laughs> no. I think you do, but I fail at it quite often. Um, so true. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but it means that our desire is to please God before anyone else. So we go to His Word that He has preserved for us, His commandments that He has given to us. This is for a reason, so that we can pattern our lives mm-hmm. Under the kingdom of God ethics, under kingdom ethics, no longer under Even the Even though we're ethics. living in the world, exactly. our authority is the ethic or the word of God. That's true. And, from the kingdom of God. And this yeah. is communicated all the way through scripture and especially by Jesus Christ. And it needs to be said that because I've heard a lot of people, a lot of friends that I have who are uh, homosexual or, or struggle with those temptations. Hmm. They will say that uh, Jesus never spoke on this. He actually has spoken a lot of, uh, about it. And if your desire is to do Live your life according to His principles. You got to search for it. Don't take what somebody else or even we say for granted. Yeah. Search for it. Yep. And the thing that Jesus says over and over again is, "If you love me, keep my commandments. You're a light put into a dark world. Shine your light. Don't hide it under a, a, a lampstand. Little, yeah. 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 That's right. So what do you do? You're the salt of the earth. We are supposed to live a kingdom ethic in a world ethic, and so we're supposed to be different. Right.
1: So now you are. You're the person who's been in a homosexual marriage. You mm-hmm. come to Christ and you you believe now. You have a new authority. You transfer from one kingdom to another. Mm-hmm. You transfer from the kingdom of culture to the kingdom of God. You have a new authority. And that authority tells you that this is not a relationship that is pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. So you end up going through a legal divorce as a statement of your submission to God's authority. But how, how do you handle the relationship with your legal uh,
0: ex-husband or wife? I'm not sure biblical principles can come into play. There are some if a husband and wife mm-hmm. have this relationship. In 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about the, what mm-hmm. the that pattern is. That's in a biblical it? marriage. Though. In a biblical marriage. Right. In God's kingdom, this is not a biblical marriage. Yeah,
1: so we've established that, but you have a real relationship. I mean, this is right. This is a genuine relationship between two people right. that was deep and meaningful to each of them and, and still
0: is deep and meaningful to each mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. So I would say that you can keep that relationship but the but the the simple fact of the matter is that will be very difficult to do to maintain a healthy, constructive, uh, in, encouraging yep. you know, iron sharpens iron relationship because you have both given yourselves to one another in God's most intimate way, yep. and so it becomes very difficult to maintain a healthy relationship when that has already been given away. Yeah. Heterosexual or homosexual, whenever there's been sexual intimacy. Yep.
1: To separate that a monogamous sexual intimacy, a committed yeah. relationship, whenever you separate
0: that, it's it's a really gut wrenching period. No matter who you are. So I would counsel somebody the same way that I would counsel someone who has had a heavy, <laughs> heavy had a, a deep sexual relationship before they're married, but they marry somebody else. Mm-hmm. My counsel to them would be, uh, man and woman getting mm-hmm. married. I would say you need to sever those relationships completely. Get them off your Facebook. Get them get them. Completely sever that relationship, because the minute that that married couple, the the man and the woman in mm-hmm. God's economy, the minute that that married couple come together, um, that they begin to give them, themselves to one another sexually, intimately, mm-hmm. in 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 pretty powerful ways. Yeah. And the minute there's a challenge in that relationship, their mind is going to revert to whatever yeah. is left over from the past that is going to be a temptation. Right. For them. So that,
1: that's if the person is in a new relationship, right? Correct. Um, so what, I mean, what if they're just single for a while? My, I mean, my, my two cents would be, um, this is, it's already, the divorce is heating, it's heating and boiling the pot, you know? And, um, when you add the Christian part into it, mm-hmm. which has so many vicious emotional elements culturally, toward, you know, it's a lot, it's like it's going to explode. I mean, you and so why if, would you do this to me? Yeah. yeah. You're. You're such a this or that. Could mm-hmm. you be so stupid? Yeah. You know, there's all these like things that already culture is saying. And then what it also means, though, is that if you become a Christian, the community by and large um, will shun you. So everything you've ever known is family and community and friends. Um, and we've we've we this is not uncommon. You know, it's if you don't support them, you're shamed by the communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and some Christian communities have been guilty of doing the same thing, just mm-hmm. the inverse. So mm-hmm. I don't even use that as a oh, we're better than you. It just is a reality for issues as heated as this. I think there's just a huge amount of prayer and precaution and communication. Um, I would personally be very weary of anything written because those words can be turned. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that's hard to say, but it's just hard to trust a community when you are saying no to that community Mm -hmm. or your lifestyle is saying no. um, Actually, I believe what you're doing isn't pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. Um, That's hard. What do you do if
0: there's a kid involved? Uh, that's a tough one too it's it, this is so difficult to talk about because the minute we engage full-fledged into relationships or 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 even moments that God disapproves of there's always going to be residue of pain and hurt and brokenness along the way everywhere heterosexual homosexual doesn't matter the kids are always. always left. You know, even if you have a, a marriage between a husband and wife and they're both believers, but but uh, one of them or both of them have chosen not to live according to God's plan um, uh, and they don't keep short accounts of sin and they don't forgive one another as God forgave us through Christ. And they they choose to hold grudges and let the sun go down on their mm-hmm. wrath. They follow pr- principles in their marriage that are anti-biblical. The residue always falls on the children. I've, I've heard it said so many times that you know, should we stay together just for the kids? I mean, 50 years ago, that was the mantra, right? We're staying together for the sake of the kids. That actually is a very noble mantra. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it is for the sake of the kids. So, stop being proud or unforgiving or all the things that that mm-hmm. scripture says. And and if it's the more on the fault of the other person, find somebody that can come in and and help you resolve your relationships or or give you counsel as to what steps you need to take in order mm-hmm. to resolve those because the the children are always, always affected. I was a youth pastor for many years. I know you were too. And, uh, I can't tell you the amount of times that I just was so brokenhearted over the kids that came into the youth group because they were suffering the residue effects of the sin of the parents mm. that bled over on them in one way or another. Yep. It affected their schooling. It affected their, it affected their social uh, activity. It affected their own relationships with, with other, other children. And, um, And the majority of, uh, it's like 80% of of, uh, people in prison uh, grew up without a dad in the home. There's a reason for that. Mm. So all of that to say, a relationship that is a homosexual relationship where the children are involved cannot uh, leave a good impression on the mind of the children. It will be confusing. It will be something outside the economy of God. So they'll have to process, can I be a Christian and still do what my parents are doing? Now they're broken up. What does that mean for me and God? And so I would say that um, you might need to have a conversation, and one of you adopt the child Mm -hmm. and bring it up as it bring him or her up as your own, which would be a a wonderful, I think, a a wonderful thing to do. But bring them up under the economy of God, because if if the person um, goes, if the person who receives the child goes on to another homosexual relationship, again, residue will fall over on the child. My advocacy is if you're a believer.
1: There's no option to neglect the child or let the child go. Like the believer has an obligation to bring the child into their home and I to agree. fight for that. Yeah.
0: Also, though that could get sticky, though.
1: Well, it could get sticky, but um, it's good. There's going to have to be a default, one home or the other, by and large. Mm-hmm. But I do believe at that point that if both parties in the divorce want custody, um, a legally they're going to get it, and um, this is one of those one of those places where um, somehow you got to figure out um, if I'm a Christian, can I get primary custody? If I have to share custody, um, that's just a legal reality. And to withhold that kid from what that kid knows as a mom or dad uh, is going to do yes harm. Now the whole thing is difficult because it's already complicated. You know, the tentacles go deep. They do go deep. And, Mm. and so that's where just to remember that, one of the most important things the believer can do is model righteousness at every corner of their life, which is why in First Corinthians seven, I believe Paul says, "Hey, I have somebody asked a question, says, "I have an unbelieving spouse. Is my child um basically protected by God?" Mm-hmm. You know And he's like, "Yes, your child is protected by God." It's just, a powerful verse. it is, you know, and so because how many people uh, forget about sexuality? Just how many people, um, are raising kids with non-Christians or are divorced and one of the, one of the parents is a non-Christian. And, and that's what you want to know. Like, God, will you give any special protection for my child? And the answer is, of course, yes, I will. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they're the child of a believer. I'm, I'm already protective. And, and again, you can see, I think what this conversation shows is that. That's, by the way, that's 1 Corinthians 7, 14, 15, right in there. Thank you. Um, what you can see is that this is the overflow of authority. Uh, my authority tells me what is true mm-hmm. and what is true works itself, works itself out into every part of my life. And when I build my life on one authority and then halfway through my life, transfer my authority, that means much of my life will have to be dismantled. By the way, this is not just a homosexual heterosexual thing. This That's is right. a human thing. It is. So I mean, my father came to Christ in his, I think he's like thirties, early forties, something like that. And he had 40 some odd years of, uh, Having the world and culture as his authority, when he came into the kingdom of God, he had to spend years dismantling mm. all of the foundations and lifestyles and patterns and ways of thinking. And he, we always live out the values of our authority. You know. And, and so I would say whether you're a heterosexual or a homosexual, it doesn't matter. Whenever there's a transference of kingdom authority, when you go from the kingdom and authority of culture to God, you literally have to dismantle the whole person. That's how deep it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, let alone to have a, a child watch this, I can tell you, having watched this as a child, it's a pretty amazing thing to watch God transform your mom and dad. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool to watch them, uh, watch God dismantle lies or wrong thinking or bad patterns and, and habits and re put somebody back together under a kingdom ethic or authority. Mm-hmm. It's just a really, I think it's a pretty incredible thing to watch, but it's also very confusing Mm. and can become very volatile. Um, Again, forget about sexuality when you have a Christian and a non-Christian who have different authorities, and now they have to decide uh, how to raise a child. Mm. When one authority says do X and the other says do do Y, um, and the child is caught in the middle between competing authorities and competing Mm. methods. I think this is where this at the core is why this is so painful is because you have oppositional and competing authorities, methods, practices, and policies from the kingdom of God and the kingdom of culture.
0: I think that was well said. And to add to that, the burden of even discussing something like this, I don't know if you feel it, but I, I just feel this heavy burden yeah. because these are these are real lives we're talking about. These are real children's lives we're talking about. Um, and, and whether you have a heterosexual relationship or a homosexual relationship, you're responsible for this child. Yep. You're responsible to give them Do the best. best example of ethics, the best example of social wellness, the best example of of God and theology. And thankfully, everybody agrees that two people fighting in front of a kid is not good for the oh, kid, whether not. you're a
1: Christian or not. Exactly. You know, Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom will both say that's not valuable or beneficial for
0: that kid. So what I want our listeners to hear is that we, we're struggling with this too, not mm-hmm. struggling with the answers, but struggling with because the answers are given to us in God's word. Yeah. We submit to the economy of God. But we're struggling with the, the weight of the the residue that is left behind when, because both of us know relationships that have bled over residue and really vomited on children and yeah. they have to grow up and work through these difficult issues. Yep. Uh, the parents need to be crystal clear on on uh, um, ethics on on what God wants for their kids, and they need to demonstrate that. I mean, yep. even your parents, um, I can't imagine growing up and seeing your parents come to know the Lord and then seeing redemption happen in front of you in their relationship with God in their relationship with one another and their relationship with other people around them. That had to be a powerful thing. That is the antithesis of what many parents do, where they live their lives and just hope their children get yep. what who God is and how he loves them.
1: So there's one question we failed to answer, so we'll come back tomorrow oh and boy. do it again. What if I am a genuine believer and am not convinced that homosexuality is a sin? What do I do?